Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Aslan is on the move. Remember that great line? Loaded with anticipation. It's a great line about a great lion, Aslan, from C.S. Lewis' classic children's novel, of course, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The line is repeated in different ways. You first hear it from the whiskered lips of Mr. Beaver. After he meets the children from our world, and the children have gotten over the shock of a, meeting a talking beaver in this enchanted world card called Narnia, Mr. Beaver then shares with the children this hopeful rumor. They say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. But they don't have much time to unpack that loaded rumor. No, because uh, though they've only just been in this strange new place, Narnia, it seems they already are in hot pursuit by a cold witch, the white witch, by whose wicked power Narnia remains always winter and never Christmas. So if you'll permit me to go on just a little bit more, we pick up that tense hunt versus the hunted. It's a chase scene. and We pick it up later on in some cave that Beaver and the kids are temporarily hiding in. When they hear what they think are those haunting bells of the white witch's sledge, at first um, they sounded, of course, nothing like our wonderful bell choir here, beautiful tones ringing out. But suddenly Beaver tells the kids, hey, sit tight. He believes he has an epiphany of sorts, and he scampers carefully out and above the cave, staying low to get a lookout. Beaver was right. Their frightened imaginations were playing tricks on them. Those weren't haunting bells that they heard. They were the joyful, long overdue, happy bells of none other than, anybody know? Father Christmas. Very good. Father Christmas pulls up with presents. It's Christmas for the first time in forever. He's got presents for all the children, and best of all, he confirms the rumor, yes, Aslan is on the move. Hooray! As the scene ends, you can even hear Beaver, Mr. Beaver explain, this is a nasty knock for the witch. It looks like as if her power is already crumbling. Something like that. Okay, that's pretty much my children's message for today, since we don't start the dismissal again for Sunday school till next Sunday, but more on that later. But the spirit of the troops there in Narnia seem to parallel what's happening in our gospel lesson from Mark 1 this morning. And yes, we are actually still in Mark 1 for six weeks total. And I can't help but notice that being slightly ironic because Mark himself writes in his signature style, doesn't he, where everything is happening immediately on top of each other so quickly onto the next thing. And here we are. Well, the good side of all that there's a lot of good stuff packed in that first chapter of Mark's gospel. Today, it's not a witch that we encounter, but a demon. And we encounter in a showdown, in of all places, a synagogue. What's a demon doing going to a synagogue? That's a good question and a tough one, I might add. But I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves quite yet. First, it's easy to see that like Aslan, who is a type of Christ or a Christ figure, Jesus, of course, who is the Christ, 
whom Mark starts right out in verse 1 of his gospel, immediately identifying him as the Christ. Verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Mark adds, for good measure, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's Mark 1.1. This Jesus, or Christ in the Hebrew, uh, Messiah is the Hebrew, this Messiah is really on the move. And we see that immediately here in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Jesus is introduced by John. He's then baptized by John the Baptist, anointed by the Holy Spirit. By that same Spirit, he's driven out to the desert to be tempted by the devil. Angels attend to Jesus. Then he comes back with disciples to call and corral, which he does, and they all immediately follow him. Four in all at this point in his early earthly ministry, two sets of brother, all fishermen, whom he promises to make fishers of men. But who, in the meantime, after all that one thing on top of the other, they're going to the synagogue to rest from their frantic pace on this Sabbath day, the day of rest. Or is it really rest, sort of? Jesus is going to proclaim the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. That is, believe the gospel. Well, now, at this early point, interestingly, Mark does not immediately roll out for us or define exactly what this gospel is quite yet, though we do have hints, and we know already to whom the good news or the gospel points, to Jesus. And we should see also Jesus himself is very particular about how he wants things to roll out or not to have them roll out so fast and furious, especially by certain unsolicited spirits. Jesus doesn't need their stinking help. Thank you. Silence, unclean spirits. Now, the old Wycliffe translation renders verse 25, wax thou dumb to the spirits. I really like that uh, tran translation, especially because some of those same unclean spirits would go and victimize others, making them deaf and dumb. So this is what Jesus commands these demonic spirits that he encounters. Uh, where? But a place like church. And essentially, first century synagogue was like our equivalent of church. And I should probably say something about that, because if you've read some or if you have ambitiously ever read the entire Old Testament, guess what? You won't find a synagogue there. Uh, there's no synagogue to be known in the Old Testament. Um, rather, they had the temple or the tabernacle, which was portable during all their wanderings for 40 years in the wilderness, both of which were set up to perform the various kinds of sacrifices thank offerings, sin offerings, purification kinds of sacrifices, atoning sacrifices. These all happened at the temple slash tabernacle and were performed by the Levites, the appointed priestly tribe of Levi. Well, somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament and somewhere in the diaspora, that is the scattering of the Israelites, and later the Jews who were carted off to Babylon, for example, or other places where God's disobedient people were carted off to, this practice of Jews in a foreign land coming together for worship 
and the study of God's law, that's where it, it all began. Synagogue in these faraway places for the Jews, it literally means gathering together. Gathering together. And incidentally, it's not too different from our Lutheran term, uh, synod. Synagogue, synod. Uh, that means walking together, synod. Uh, sin means same or together, hod or hados or ode, like odometer, measures the road. So uh, the ode part means road or path or way, which is the same word Jesus uses in John 14, 6, telling his disciples, I am the hados, the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but by me. So the synagogue version of Israel's spiritual life was hoped to be, and still is today, hoped to be only a temporary spiritual life until the temple can be restored once again and all the sacrifices can be restarted. Not all of rabbinical Judaism, which is what the new synagogue tradition of worship is called historically, not all Jews see the necessity of the temple any longer. Matter of fact, in Babylon, more stayed there than went back when even given permission to return to the Holy Land. And today it's similar. The Jews are kind of split over this. So there are differences in schools of thought today and within Judaism. Just as there are denominational differences among Christians, right? With Christians, that seems probably even more apparent because there's just so many today as it is still supposedly the world's largest religion, Christianity. What is somewhat surprising sometimes to us Lutherans in all of this is that there are a significant amount of Christians today who share this same view of yet another restored temple right there on the same temple mount in Jerusalem. The belief is that it is God's will for his people, the Jews, to have it and put it back to full use once again as God's holy place for the Old Testament sacrificial system to be restored and become fully operational. This position has gained popularity among Christians. When these Christians affirm that Jewish people today, who will still reject Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah, uh, they are nevertheless God's people, these Christians maintain, just like the Christians are God's people too. It's just that God has two different, distinct ways of relating to these group, two groups of people, Jews and Gentile. Now, that doesn't sound right to our Lutheran ear. Uh, this becomes very problematic for us Lutherans, or just what we would call a biblical point of view when you continue moving through Mark's gospel, indeed all four gospels, and you soon find out that Jesus, yes, he goes to the synagogues and to the Jews first, but unmistakably, Jesus shows genuine, deep compassion to a growing number of Gentiles along the way as we work through the Gospels. And it was actually just to Jewish people at the time that Jesus made that quote from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, that exclusive claim that he made that no one, Jew or Gentile, comes to the Father but by him. He is the temple that his own received not, and that was destroyed, his body, the temple. But three days later, 
He raised it up again. As one reads through the Gospels, it's awfully hard to miss Christ's claim to be the way, the truth, the life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's no other to look for for anyone. In Mark's Gospel, written mostly with Gentiles in mind, as indicated, by the way, by the extra effort Mark makes to translate Hebrew or Aramaic words into the common commercial language of the day, Koine Greek. In this gospel, Mark bookends the gospel preached that is Jesus the Christ, Greek for Messiah, the Son of God, just as we read at the beginning of chapter 1 this morning. Now you flip over to the end of Mark's gospel, and it is a Gentile, a Roman soldier in Mark 15, who Mark quotes with that dramatic testimony. You might remember it. Jesus has just breathed out his last breath while on the cross, paying the penalty for the sins of the whole world, of both Jew and Gentile together. The temple's curtain, the actual building the temple I'm talking about now, it tears the um, curtain from top to bottom, and the Roman centurion next to the cross gets to echo the line from Mark 1. Truly this man was the Son of God. Mark's gospel is both intended from the beginning for both Jew and Gentile reader. And this gospel is able to save both Jew and Gentile sinner. What a journey or road or way, if you will, to the one who is the way, the only way for any poor sinner on the planet to enter God's kingdom. Even the Jerusalem Council conducted by James and conducted by all the Jewish brothers in Christ, even they affirm right there in Acts 15 that, quote, God knows, God who knows the heart bore witness to the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us Jews. That was the Jerusalem Council's verdict. Likewise, the Holy Spirit set aside Saul of Tarsus, a Jew and a Pharisee, to become Paul the appointed apostle to the Gentiles for Jesus Christ. Jesus rebuked the deceived demoniac that day in the synagogue for blasting out something before its time, when it would have made a mess of the mission of the Messiah. Jesus had his own order in which to roll things out. And in so doing, Jesus not only controlled the timeline of his own unfolding good news, to the world. He also demonstrated his authority over this unseen realm of spirits, something only attributable to God Almighty. Mark will show Jesus rebuking also tempestuous nature, both wind and wave, with the exact same word, be still. Again, such power over creation gone chaotic under the curse. Only God has, and only God can demonstrate. Jesus demonstrates his power also in weakness. On that very public cross, that all might look to it and know that he has power there, power to forgive, power to bring peace to sinners and their forgiving God in Christ alone. Now this is news no longer to be silenced, but it is still good news. Jesus is on the move. Repent and believe this gospel and be reconciled and restored. Your faith has made you whole. Amen.
And now may he who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.